Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. It is the Game Plan Podcast, Wait Forest Edition, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Mm. The game plan means Greg Barnes, Jason Staples. Join me, host Tommy Ashley, here on InsideCarolina.com's podcast. Johnny T-shirt again. Couldn't get Jason to come in with a mm, on that. I'm going to go to Greg Barnes first then. Jason missed his starting role. And you're not going to start today, Jason. I'm going to Greg. I'm going to the more experienced guy. Uh, Wake Forest comes to town. This is not an ACC game. I don't know how many people have asked me that. Um, still, this is not, I repeat, an ACC game. It is a non-conference game put together by the powers that be because Carolina and Wake never played each other anymore. And Carolina thought it would be a good idea to play Wake Forest because they're a local rival um, and picked some interesting years to do it. Greg, Wake Forest is ninth or 10th in the country, 8-0 coming into this game. Uh, when I was watching the college uh, football playoff rankings or whatever, they kept showing Wake, and I'm sitting there thinking, God, that's where we expected to see Carolina. Those graphics for Wake were supposed to be Carolina Blue, Block NC instead of the WF. Wake first got a good team, led by a good quarterback, Greg. Uh, Carolina's got some work to do Saturday. They're favored. How? I do not know. Don't understand that stuff, but. What's this game mean to Carolina specifically, Greg, at this point in the season? I think it means a lot. And let me slide this in here first, Tommy. Uh, you mentioned this being a non-conference game. This is the second of that series. There's some discussion behind the scenes that they, they're considering doing this again, which I think is a good idea. Uh, you know, Mac Brown kind of has a template for how he wants scheduling to be. He would like a you know, kind of a showcase game. You like a, a good opponent at the, the FBS level. And then, of course, you want some, some games that you can win to get your guys experienced. Uh, and so this type of game would be very beneficial in that regard. And it saves you some money since it's the back and forth. So I, I think it's played out pretty well. And uh, I would assume that it will continue in some form or fashion down the road. This is a very important game for, for North Carolina um, for, for several reasons, right? I mean, number one, North Carolina needs to, to build confidence. They need to get better across the board. And as much as we've harped on the defense since Notre Dame, the offense took a step forward. Um, and Jay, and uh, Phil Longo has done some, some different things that we can get into. But that offense looked a little, looked a little bit different, right? Uh, they did a little bit different things. They got more people involved. And all of a sudden, uh, maybe not at the 2020 level, but that was a really good offense against a pretty good defensive team last week. So that's, that's a building opportunity, right? And you have to continue to build on that. But really more than anything, North Carolina needs to get to a bowl game. And I, I know fans are at this point where, hey, last year against Wake is when you started to see Jacarius Conley and Tony Grimes play more. Miles Murphy started to play more. I get it. But what you have to take into account here is you've got four games left. You've got to win two to get to the postseason. Three of those opponents are ranked. Two are on the road. And as you mentioned, Tommy, Carolina is favored against Wake. They will be underdogs at Pitt and at NC State. If you don't get to a bowl game, then you're losing probably a dozen practice opportunities for a lot of these young guys. So what do you do? Do you play them now for 10 snaps in the game? Or do you really do what you can to make sure you get to a bowl game and they get 10 or 12 full practices, right? You have to think about program building, not just what's going on right now. And these are the conversations that the coaches are having. Um, locally, you want to be able to beat your rivals, right? They beat Duke. Uh, it would be nice to be able to beat Wake. Wake's the top 10 team, as you said. 
Same goes for NC State in a couple weeks. So there's a lot that North Carolina is still playing for. I know it's been a disappointing season for, for so many reasons. Uh, but a bowl game is still you know, a good prize. You know, if, if worst case scenario, you go to a bowl game that a lot of people are kind of bummed about, um, we've seen North Carolina in a lot worse shape. So uh, it's key. This, I think this game, we can dive into it later, Tommy. I think this is probably the most winnable game outside of that Wofford game. Uh, so I, it's a critically important game. Jason, looking at some stats, we'll get into one that sticks out for Wake Forest. They are fourth in the nation in turnover margin at plus 10, um, which speaks to how they play defense and, and how they play offense as well. But I want to back up and ask you, how does Carolina get back up for these games? I know Mac loves the in-state, you know, state championship stuff. Um, but folks, uh, somebody in the media asked Cedric Gray, I believe it was this week, um, where, basically, where's your head? going into a game like this and he said they're all good they're ready to play and all you got uh, Sam Howell certainly played much better against Notre Dame um, but really the mentality here they, they're beating beaten down um, I think they expected more at least defensively after a bye week Jason where's the mental state of this team and its coaches going into a non-ACC yet very important rival game I have no idea I don't think you're alone there. The, the reason I say that is, you know, we've talked – how many times this year have we talked about, like, you know, what, would the, what should the mental state be or what would the mental state be if, you know, if it were me or if it were, you know, if it were you? And probably the most obvious example of this for us is going into the Florida State game. We were talking about that, about, like, this is a team that beat you last year when you are in the top ten. You know, this is an opportunity to come out and really – uh, you know, get some measure of revenge from last year. And, you know, you expect to come out in that game and to really play like your hair's on fire and to really play with passion and to do everything and to make sure you out hit and out physical that team after that, after that happened last year. And we, we, I mean, we all just assumed like that's obviously the way you're going to be coming into that game. Right. Is that what we saw? Did not happen not even close. I mean, they came out in that game and they went up 10, nothing. Sure. But they got out hit. They got out physical in that game in ways that I just thought would be impossible given the, the, the prior year and given what they knew and given how much that game had cost them last year. I mean, come on, really? Like you're going to, I get the, like every team's the same thing, but like, really? <laughs> like, you know, Okay, I, I'm fine with every team is the same. If you're going to treat every every game as I'm going to come out and play, like I'm, you know, I'd rather die than lose this game. But I haven't seen that from Carolina so far. It, why would I expect it now? So I mean, I don't know how what their mentality is going to be coming in after a Notre Dame loss, after a game where they were competitive. But again, they've been competitive in lots of games and just c keep coming up short. I mean, that's kind of been North Carolina football for a while. Uh, so, you know, at what point do I, do we just sort of toss our hands in the air and go, I don't really know what their mentality is going to be. I mean, I know it's not what my mentality would be going into this game so far. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I imagine that there's some frustration uh, that there's a, you know, obviously there's a want to win, but I just, I'm not sure that so far this year I've seen, a need to win, right? There's a difference between like guys that want to go out there and they want to play well and they want to win versus guys who go out there and they like from the core of their being, they need to win. They can't not win. Like, and you know, I, I, I've said this before that when I got to Tallahassee as a, at a high school, I was a guy who took pride in being in outworking everybody I ever, I, I, I was ever around and playing really hard at everything that I did. And I remember talking to my dad on the phone after my first week down there in summer and him saying, how's it going? And me going, I've never seen anything like this. You got guys out here. We're out here in summer and there are guys out here where, and this is what I told him. There are guys out here who would rather you pull out a gun and shoot them than them lose the next rep in one-on-ones or seven-on-seven seven in July. They're like, every rep is that hard, and it's life and death. 
And I've never, I've never, like, I'm having to learn a whole different intensity than I've ever seen. Now that was, that was a championship team at the time, right? I mean, they were coming off a national championship that I learned at that point, what that looked like from watching those guys and going against those guys and getting my butt absolutely kicked by those guys and learning that that's the intensity level you've got to play with. There's that. And then there's the, like, I want to win. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm working hard. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm going to do what I need to do. Like, okay. Yeah, that's fine. But when it comes down to it, would you rather die or would you rather win this game? And I'm seeing with the Carolina, with Carolina so far this year, just more of a, like a, yeah, a want to. And, you know, we were talking off air, Greg, about uh, the, the breakdown on the 91 yard run. You see Conley make, or, or not Conley, I'm sorry. Uh, you see uh, Grimes, another young defensive back. You see Grimes making a business decision on that play. And that's, that's the sort of thing I'm talking about. A guy who just r- refuses to lose doesn't make a business decision there. And that's, and that's not characteristic of that guy. I mean, I know he plays hard. He's a really good player. But that's something about where they're at. So given that I've seen that, and I've seen that all season, I, I, I don't really expect that anything would have changed there. But again, I don't know. I really don't know. So all that being said from Jason, Greg, where's the, where does it lie or who does it lie upon to alter that? Uh, we, we've talked about upper-class leadership all the time. I think you have to have it in all sports. I think Carolina basketball is going to see the same thing this year. I'm trying to find that. But this team's upper-class guys were five-game winners in their first two years, two or, you know, for some of them. And, and so losing – I like how Jason said everybody, everybody wants to win. Do you want to put in the work to win is the question. Do you need to win? And do you need to win? And that's not something – that's something – well, I say that. That's something difficult to have when you haven't a lot especially on this level college level so where does that come from these last four games starting with Wake Forest because Wake Forest is going to come in ready to beat some rear ends I I would imagine we can talk about how their defense is not great and all that stuff but we've we've heard units that weren't that great coming into Carolina games before so what what's Wake doing they keep finding ways to win they keep winning close games not close game it doesn't matter they keep finding ways Right. And so there's this huge conversation on the board, and I think it's a healthy conversation about, okay, is this on the coaches? Is this on talent? Is this on discrepancies in recruiting classes? Yes, right? <laughs> um, but there's, there's more to it, kind of what Jason kind of got to, is for whatever reason, uh, there's not the, the chemistry that's needed, the fuel that's needed to, to have to win. And I think that the great stat for me is, bar none, Sam Howe is the best quarterback I've watched in North Carolina. I don't think there's – he's going to be one of the best in the ACC statistically when he's done in a couple of weeks. He is 19 and 14 as a starting quarterback at the college level. Um, so when you've got a guy like that that's – you, I don't want to use hyperbole, but you're talking about a, a generational talent at least for UNC, uh, that says a lot. And, you know, I kind of go back this offseason. Uh, Mac Brown really highlighted the fact, you know, I was talking to him at the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. And he really highlighted the fact that Sam Howell was such a, an important piece to this puzzle in terms of allowing North Carolina to kind of get this good start upon Mac's return. Um, and we've talked about it a little bit, but I think, I think Sam has really kind of covered up some of the blemishes across the board. And we've seen it more so this year than maybe we did last year because he had some, some really great pieces around him last year. Um, the defense wasn't that good last year. But when he's got some elite guys offensively to help him out, it was one of the best offenses that was the best offense that we've ever seen in Chapel Hill. And that, that covers up a lot. Still, that team went eight and four. So – I do think you're in this weird dynamic of you've got to get more talent in. Yes. But you also, to your point, Tommy, you've got to be able to learn to win. 
And you, Mac talked a lot about that when he first got here is the guys were asking, what do we need to do to win? How do we win these games? Clearly that's still going on. They had chances to win at Virginia Tech. They had a lot of chances to win last year in some of those games at Florida State, at Virginia, games they should have won. They should have beat Georgia Tech this year. They lost by 23. You make the case they should have beat Florida State. Um, and they've just struggled to find a way to win. I think they should have beat Notre Dame, Tommy. Yeah, we talked sh- about that. You can make a strong case they should have won all three of those games. Yeah. And that changes the complexion of what we're talking about right now, right? Um, but they have just struggled for that. And something we've talked about in, in recent weeks is because you have this, this weird dynamic of some of the better players, most of the better players are younger guys who are starting to get more reps and they're taking snaps from older guys who are supposed to be your leaders, but they don't have that winning experience and it's all kind of jumbled and you just have to work through it. Uh, so I don't know that there is an answer, but Ultimately falls on the coaches. I think we can all agree on that. Um, but this is the opportunity for, I mean, it's a fertile ground for somebody to step up and really emerge as a leader. And as, as much as, uh, as much as I, as I think of Sam, Howe, he's a quiet guy. Yep. I don't know that he's the, the vocal guy they need. Like maybe Michael Carter was last year. Um, but they need somebody to really step up and, and kind of convince these guys that, Hey, we've got to grind through this. We need to get to a bowl game this year. And then we can really address some of these issues next year because I don't care how much talent you stock on this roster. If you don't address some of these issues, the team's not going to get much better. They're not going to get to a point where they're eight and no in a top 10 team like Wake Forest has been able to do this year. And to build on a couple things that you just said, Greg, if they don't get those things fixed, then all they're going to do is, is basically reinforce the, the traditional stereotype of North Carolina football of talented but soft. That's been the book on Carolina for as long as I can remember. I mean, going back to the nineties yep, is talented team. You know, they'll hit you to some degree, you know, they've got some guys that can run, they've got some freaks, but overall in the end soft. And you know, that, that's, that's always been the truth. And the thing, that's the thing, that's the hard part to eliminate in all of this and building on one other thing that you that you mentioned in terms of the the different classes and learning how to win and all of that part of the difficulty is that when you have that transition with a new coach coming in and then the, the your best players are young guys and all of that is the respect factor that's necessary for the young guys to learn from the older guys and also the quality factor that's necessary for the older guys to be able to do it better to show the young guys, <laughs> neither of those is there. Right. So when I got to Florida state, now I wasn't a good player, but when I got there, it was very obvious, like within the first couple reps of my getting my butt handed to me that like, this is different. <laughs> right. Like, the level, like not just like technique wise, not just that this guy's a better athlete than me, each of which was the case, but this guy plays at a level of intensity I have never seen before. And I didn't know was possible. And when you have that and you know that this guy's better than you and he plays with that level of intensity, then as a young guy, you try to meet that. If though you're a young guy and you know, like, look, I'm better than that guy, <laughs> right? Like, I'm, I'm more talented. Like, you think at least I'm better than that guy. You may not actually be better in terms, like, you're actually blowing more, you're blowing more assignments. You're done. But you look at him and you're like, look, I mean, I'm faster than him. I jump higher than him. I'm stronger than him. I was ranked a lot higher in high school than him. And so it's just a matter of time before that guy's job is mine. And honestly, he shouldn't be playing in front of me now. And, you know, it's not like he's lighting the world on fire. I mean, look at, he blew that assignment. So, so then what happens? Does that guy actually learn to raise his level of, of play to the level of play that you need when that guy is actually in there to, to a championship level? Are you seeing that? And I would say no. And that's really the hard part here. That's the hard part for coaches is you don't have the older, really talented group of guys to set the, the standard of this is the, the standard of quality and the standard of intensity that you have to play at to play here. Because even if you have a guy like a Jeremiah Gamble who plays, I mean, 
go and watch that 91 yard play. That guy is playing hard. He's one guy that I'm like, yeah, he, he, he plays like he needs to win. He's just not as talented as some of these other guys, but I mean, he's in the backfield, gets his hands on the back. And then he's the guy chasing him up the sideline. And you go like, how is he the guy that's in the screen here from this side of the field? And then he's the only guy that's chasing him all the way up the sideline. I'm gone. But then you got some young guys that I'm sure are looking at him like, yeah, I'm more talented than him. You know, it's going to, it's going to happen. I'll, I just got to wait by my time. Or are they going to meet that because of the respect factor? And so that I think is the really, that's the hardest thing as a coach is trying to get your young talent to recognize that the moment you play with that level of intensity at your talent level, you're on the field and we're much better, but you have to play like that. And until the, those guys start doing that and until they're a little bit older and can start setting that standard, then you haven't actually set a winning program. So that's the, all of those things that you just said, you add that to the generational problem where the young guys, they see that the guys that are older than them are just not as talented. So why should I respect that guy the same way? So what it's going to take is it's going to ultimately take a guy like, and you know, I look at some of the guys on this, on this team and I say, you know, uh, Jaquiris Conley, the way he plays, he's, he's blown some assignments of late and there's been some, some, for him, the, the issue is just making sure that he doesn't try to do too much. But a guy like that needs to be the guy that steps up and ultimately gets really consistent with his assignments and then demands that his teammates hold, uh, hold to his line. Because he's a guy that plays just naturally with that level of speed and, and intensity. And, you know, same thing with a guy like, uh, like Grimes. He needs to match that level of intensity and then hold – his younger teammates, the guys that are his class and, and below to that standard. It's going to take some of those guys who are the most talented guys on your team to be like, look, Des, you gotta, you gotta cut this out, man. You gotta, you gotta match. Look at, look at me. I'm dying here. You gotta stop this. You gotta actually do your job and you gotta do it at this level and hold those guys. account. It's going to take some of those, some of your best players stepping up and becoming that guy and that's really hard when that when you have to do that when you're a sophomore who are the are the upperclassmen going to listen to you when you're a sophomore are your other sophomores and freshmen are they going to listen that's the dilemma right now yeah it reminds me and also you know you play and you practice and you perform like that and winning's not guaranteed, even if you do all that right. And it reminds me of the, I think it was the Georgia Tech strength coach that got to be right um, viral on Twitter on some of his speeches. What about the head coach? Is that the head coach? I thought it was the Georgia the State coach. head coach. No, not Georgia State, Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. Oh, uh, sorry. sorry. Georgia gotcha. Tech strength coach um, said something to the effect of, Winning is even if you do everything right, winning's not guaranteed, but you still got to do everything right and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's the challenge for this team and, and for these young guys. And I think it was a challenge when Butch Davis was there. When you get guys in there like Marvin Austin that have no nobody to check them early and no real upper class leaders that were yeah doing that. Yeah, I was going to use them as a, somewhat of an example, though, because you know who was a senior on that 09 team that was so good defensively? E.J. Wilson. Yeah. Uh, Cam Thomas. Now, E.J. Wilson was a two-star out of Virginia, and Cam was a three-star. They got real but, good, though. Right. <laughs> and they, they started – they were the only seniors that started on that 09 defense, which was the best that we've seen since the 96-97 defenses. Um. So, yes, I mean, you know, Marvin didn't pan out, but there's enough other guys on that, on that, within that group. And part of it, too, is, I mean, Dante Williams, Kendrick Burney, those guys were leaders early in their career, kind of to Jason's point. So by the time they were juniors, which was that year, uh, I mean, they had plenty of leadership on that defense, even though they only had two seniors starting. So it, Yes, there were some issues that, that Butch had to deal with uh, for a variety of reasons. But I, I think for whatever reason, they had just the right mix of some old guys. And that's the thing. It's not like – sometimes you just have to get lucky with, with some of the guys that kind of pop as a leader. 
You never know who that's going to be. I mean, Kevin Reddick, right? You don't want to make that guy mad. <laughs> that's not somebody you want to piss off. And I'm not sure there's anybody on the defense right now that, that's in that role. Yeah, you yeah. wonder who on this defense has that edge. Who, who's that guy who, if you're not doing your job, he's going to come over and Bust your make, your life, make your life really uncomfortable in a physical fashion. Okay. <laughs> and, and the other thing, too, is in order to be a leader when you're young, you actually have to be the guy that's always doing it right. Mm-hmm. Right? If you're, if you're a leader, if, if you're trying to be a leader and you're the one that's you know, vocal about this and then you're the one that goes out and blows the assignment and gives up a touchdown – Guys stop listening. And it's the same thing with older guys who are trying to be leaders and then they're just not as good. They just don't get the respect of the, of, of the younger guys. I mean, that's the hard part, right? You have to, like you said, you kind of have to get lucky that your best players are some of your leaders. Like you can have guys that are leaders without necessarily being your best players, but it's really, really hard to be a leader unless you're a good player. And you got to have some followers too. Yeah. But the, yeah, I, I think leadership has been an issue. Um, and, and, you know, we can discuss the coaching aspect of it. I, I think the coaches need to be a little tougher on players individually. Um, a lot tougher. Than, you know, and I know somebody's going to say, well, you praise in public and criticize in private and all that stuff. I think the what you see on the field um, is a product of, of what may be going on a little bit on the on the practice field let's say let's put it that way let me uh let's talk about we're going to talk about this game Wake Forest specifically because I think Wake Forest is a team with some leaders I don't think they're as talented as um anybody I don't think they're probably remotely as talented as anybody in the top 10 with them um but they're there because they've got that leadership both from the coaching staff and from the players but I'm going to talk about Johnny T-shirt Johnny T-shirt.com the place to go for your inside Carolina gear or, or your Inside Carolina uh, premium subscription will get you 10% off their gear. Cold weather, you can still get some warm weather stuff. Uh, you, you're going to need some cold weather stuff this weekend. So stop by and see them on Franklin Street. Get some new gear, basketball gear, of course. Exhibition game Friday night for basketball. They've got all that swag at Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. And, of course, Hubert Davis era. That's unbelievable. Hard to believe it's, it's here already. This time is quite fun time of year for Greg Barnes, I'm sure. Um, say bye to the family, Greg, when you check out (laughs) on Friday evening. Uh, but anyway, sponsored, uh, help out Johnny t-shirt. They sponsor us. They're good friends of us and they're good friends of you. If you're that premium subscriber, let the national guys pay the bills as well. It's the game plan. Wait first edition. Hey guys, this is Ross Martin from inside Carolina. And I want to talk to you about inside Carolina's new podcast sponsor. It's Blue Shark Vodka. Blue Shark Vodka is a family-owned vodka company based out of Wilmington and Wrightsville, North Carolina. It's available in all 100 counties. And the thing about Blue Shark Vodka is it's the smoothest vodka in the world. It's made with sweet North Carolina corn to create the world's smoothest vodka. It's been distilled four times and then mellowed for 28 days to create that full blooming and awaking flavor. Each batch is in triple filtered, giving it a smooth, clean finish and eliminates any of the alcohol bite. Guys, I've been using it recently with some soda water, fruit juice, little lime juice. It's great for tailgates. It's light, it's smooth, and it's an award-winning premium vodka from North Carolina, local and family-owned, and it's available once again in all 100 counties. So head to your local ABC store to check out Blue Shark Vodka. Get the champagne ready. The NBA Finals are here. Welcome to the NBA Finals. Let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing. My goodness! Here's the high-stakes action to thrilling moments we can't miss. He ties the game at the buzzer! And to crowning our next champion. Here's a toast to the NBA Finals. The 2024 NBA Finals presented by YouTube TV continue on ABC. All right, boys, back to the game plan. Let's talk about the actual game plan. Greg, Wake Forest comes in 8-0. Sam Hartman has been there at least seven or eight years, it feels like. Good quarterback. They lose a Heisman candidate in the transfer portal, and they haven't really missed a beat. What's Wake Forest bring to the table that maybe the normal Carolina fan 
doesn't know about. Well, not only Kenneth Walker did they lose, he's at Michigan State and looked phenomenal against Michigan last weekend, uh, but, but Donovan Green, who was a preseason All-ACC guy, like he averaged close to 20 yards per catch last year. He had a season-ending injury. He, he's out. Uh, he was out before the season started. Uh, Javante Nash was their, their starter at right tackle last year. Uh, he's out due to a season-ending injury. So they've, they've lost some key pieces from last year. But even with those guys that they've lost, they still returned 18 starters. And as you mentioned, Hartman, um, you know, Hartman was a guy that, that played behind uh, Jamie Newman before he left for Georgia. And Hartman has just come along. And Dave Clawson does a, does a very good job developing these guys. And I know a lot of people make a big deal about how Wake Forest has, has benefited from uh, the eligibility rule. That's true. They've got nine super seniors on this roster. I think seven are, are playing key minutes for them, key snaps. So that's beneficial when you've got a bunch of old, old guys playing. Um, but the way that that kind of worked for, for Dave Clawson is he understands he's not going to be able to recruit like Mac Brown. He's just not. So he kind of follows that old Jim Grobe approach, right, of, look, we're going to bring guys in that, that we think project – to be solid players when they're older. And so pretty much every freshman that comes in knows they're going to redshirt because they need to put on weight. They need to get into a strength and conditioning program. They need to understand what they're being asked to do so they can do it effectively and efficiently and so they can execute as needed. And so because he's been there for so long now, he's got a lot of older guys. He, he keeps kids. He doesn't have a lot of kids that leave. Uh, and so you've got a lot of veteran players in the older classes. And it just so happens that it's really worked out for Wake Forest uh, so far this year. And we, we talked about how is North Carolina favored you know, in this game? How, how does ESPN FBI favor North Carolina? I think it's like 56%. These teams are, are near identical offensively and defensively. The only difference, and you talked about it early, Tommy, is turnovers. Wake Forest has forced more and coughed up less. And that's the primary difference between what Wake Forest and what North Carolina is doing right now. Jason, you know, I don't know what you want to call it. The mesh, the delayed mesh and all that. I haven't watched Wake as much this year as I have in years past um, with Newman gone. But are they still running that to the extent that they would run it? Yes. And, and tell me yes. why, tell me, tell me why it creates such an issue. Cause I've always said, just blow them both up, but it never seems to work that way. Um, at least for Carolina when they're playing Wake Forest. So actually they, I don't think they're doing it quite as much as they did it in say the Newman years. Right. Then, and, and they're not doing it for as often for as absurdly long, where there were times where you'd see two guys like, two yards upfield still in the match doing the salsa at the you know yeah. past the line of scrimmage they're still doing the you know they're salsa dancing or doing the tango all the way up the field they're not it's not quite as elongated now as it has been although at times you see it come back to that uh and they're still doing it i mean like greg said yeah yes they're still doing it and yes it's still core to what they do i don't think it's quite as much because they're uh, they're more diverse offensively than they were then and they're doing some other things on top of it so the percentage is down just a little bit but you still have to prepare for it like it's the center of their offense because it is uh and as for the blow them both up thing the problem is and and you know that's kind of my default as well is that if you come in there that hard then what's going to happen is the ball, the, the, the running back is just going to take the brunt of that. You're going to try to take them both out, but the running back is basically going to turn that into a block. And then the quarterback's just going to pull it. And that's that. So, I mean, the, the thing is, or if you decide, okay, you're coming kind of from the quarterback side and you're going to blow him up and you're going to try to blow him up into the back, he's just going to get rid of it just before. And so it's just really, really hard to do. Uh, and what makes that so difficult for a defense is it's, it's just like any other read play that you're dealing with an unblocked player, right? I mean, this is the numbers game, right? We, we talk about this all the time on this podcast. When you run the quarterback, you're up one, 
right? On, on the front, unless the defense plays without a safety. Now you can even out the numbers, but if you play without a safety, <laughs> good luck on the coverage front, right? So that's the thing. Most defenses are willing to say, okay, we'll have to go minus one against the quarterback run game while keeping a safety. And we'll try to find some ways, you know, using quarters or ripples or different, different things that are going to try to give us a plus one without the sacrifice of that deep safety. But then when you add option football to this and you add that you're not just running the quarterback, but now you're optioning a guy. Now there's an additional player up front. You're not blocking. Right. So you're already plus one because the quarterback might be carrying the ball. And, that, and that's going to be the case if the quarterback just takes the snap and then gets a lead block from his running back. He, you're up one on the offense. If you run, say, a zone read and you don't block the end man on the line of scrimmage. Now the offense is up two because that guy is optioned in terms of this, in terms of you're up two in terms of the blocking scheme, right? That guy is optioned. The quarterback is going to handle him with the option play. And you're getting to block an extra, you're getting to block an extra guy up front. So you get to double team one more player. So now essentially you're up two. And then if you elongate that decision just a little bit, now you're forcing that guy to commit himself and you're giving the offensive line, if, if that guy doesn't commit himself right away, then you're giving the offensive line just a little bit more time to, to, to establish their blocks and for those double teams to, to displace guys upfield or to move guys down the, down the field or whatever. And you're allowing your ball carrier a little bit more space to make his decision. And then they also play action. They RPO off of that. <laughs> so you've got a long, 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 long mesh. And then all of a sudden it turns into an RPO. And I saw earlier this year that they RPO'd off that long mesh and threw a 40 yard post. That. And nobody was downfield. And that should be illegal, right? I mean, you got the safety who sees like, okay, that's the long mesh and the safety's coming up. And all of a sudden quarterback pulls it and goes, oh, by the way, there's a guy 40 yards upfield. I'm going to hit him. And again, like you said, there's nobody upfield because they were just in double teams on the line of scrimmage and nobody got to the second level and complete 40 yards. Super irritating for every defensive coordinator in America because well, that should not be legal because it's basically blowing up every uh, key that you teach your defense. <laughs> like when you see this, this is a run. When you see this, this is a pass. When you, well, that's out. So they cause all sorts of problems with this. And one of the things that they do is that they get a lot of those extra double teams on that. And with that elongated mesh, both the quarterback and the running back are keeping their eyes on their read keys so that if the running back gets it, he can actually bounce it to wherever the, 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 the front is actually not going to be strongest. While, while, and so he's reading that while the mesh is happening. And so it's just really, really hard to play against. Uh, nonetheless, I, I'm not actually that surprised that, that North Carolina is favored in this game, just for what it's worth. Let me give you something real quick. We look at Atlantic Coast Conference leaders in yards per play against FBS competition. Number one, offensively, who would you guess that would be? I don't have it in front of me. It's Virginia, right? Virginia, okay. Yeah, they're 7.05 yards per play. Number two is North Carolina at 6.9 yards per play. Number three is Wake Forest at 6.82 yards per play. Now we go to the defensive side. <laughs> number seven is North Carolina at 5.85 yards per play. Number eight is Wake Forest at 5.91 yards per play. So North Carolina is averaging more yards per play on offense and giving up fewer yards per play on defense. And they're giving up fewer yards per play on defense by, uh, you know, a reasonable amount by, you know, basically 0.06. So, I mean, that's, that's not just statistically insignificant. So, you know, they're, they're actually per on a per play basis, North Carolina has been more efficient than wake forest. The biggest difference has been that when wake forest has played teams that have been able to handle them in a per play basis that have been more talented, 
like a, like a Virginia or, or Florida state, Florida state turned the ball over six times against, against uh, wake forest. You ain't winning there. There's you're not going to win many games. doing that, Right. So they turned the ball over six times against wake forest. And also you got to remember Florida state played wake forest with Mackenzie Milton as the, as the primary quarterback, not, not Jordan Travis. So the, the run threat that, that North Carolina had to face as the primary threat from Florida state was not something that, uh, that wake had to deal with. So you look at that and then they were plus two against Virginia as well. So you look at the two teams that they played that were the most likely to be able to basically score with them. And they were plus four against Florida state and plus two against Virginia. And you go, Oh, well that, that really accounts for a lot. And then you look at their other games and they won 37, 34 over Louisville at home. And then at Syracuse 40 to 37, basically every other game, has either been against really poor competition. They gave up 56 to army 170 to 56. They blew out Duke and then, you know, old dominion, Norfolk state. I mean, so really there's a four, four games that they've really played against competition where you'd say, yeah, you know, they should probably be able to beat wake forest personnel wise. And two of those games were decided by three points apiece. And then the other two, the Florida State and Virginia games, which are their most important or most uh, impressive scores, were simply determined on the basis of turnovers. So then you start to look at that and you say, what's the key to this game? Well, North Carolina shouldn't, if North Carolina doesn't turn it over a bunch, if, if this is an even turnover game, you probably favor North Carolina in this game based on other numbers. So that's an interesting thing. Now, in terms of matchups, I'm not sure I, really think that you know i we should expect north carolina to win this game but it's you know pr- closer to a coin flip than than what you'd think if you just looked at the rankings and the records yeah so to, to flesh that out even more tommy what what does that mean how, how does that manifest itself in terms of of numbers because offense is very similar defense is very similar as jason laid out but what do the turnovers mean how does that impact the game well, when you look at red zone opportunities, they've both played eight games. North Carolina's opponents have gotten to the red zone 34 times. Wakes have only gotten there 24 times. So 10 fewer times. That's significant. Uh, and how that plays out, when you look at net uh, points per possession, so if you take the points per possession for the offense and then points per possession allowed for the defense, you subtract it, right? So the, the very good teams, when we look at uh, Georgia, best team in the country, there's a difference of, of 3.1 per possession. That's why they're the best team in the country. Wake Forest, though, is at 1.78. So their offense, because of turnovers, are scoring at a much higher clip, and the defense is benefiting from that because they're not having to defend as much with the turnovers are gaining. And so they're allowing fewer points per possession. North Carolina is at 0.24. So that's a point and a half per possession that Wake has on North Carolina, primarily, mostly because of turnovers. Um, and you know, Buck talks a lot about the randomness of turnovers, and he's exactly right. All the data points that out. Uh, but for whatever reason, this year, Wake Forest has been able to capitalize. And as Jason said, it's the Florida State game, and I think maybe the Syracuse game where they had like a plus 10 advantage. Uh, and so that's, that's a big part of it. But every game that they've played uh, has, has kind of gone in their favor, whereas for North Carolina, that just has not been the case. And one other thing that's interesting about the turnover margin for them is the uh, is you want to look at where those turnovers have come from to determine kind of how, how lucky they've been. <laughs> Right. To talk about this, because one of the things that we've talked about before on this show is, you know, turnovers, turnover margin is to some degree random. Right. There's a certain amount of randomness built into that. Mostly on the fumble recovery side of things. Right. Better teams force more fumbles because they're hitting harder that, you know, you get guys that are you know more guys, to the football stripping the ball, that sort of thing. But fumble, fumble recoveries are pretty close to random, with the exception that defenses that play really hard where you have a lot of guys getting to the football, there are more guys there to recover it. So, you know, that can, that can account for some of that difference, 
But interceptions are a little bit less random. There's still some randomness to it. But interesting thing, Wake Forest has, has eight interceptions on the season. You know how many North Carolina has? Seven. Seven. The difference in turnover margin between Wake Forest and North Carolina is against FBS competition, North Carolina has recovered three fumbles. Wake Forest has recovered nine. That's almost an, an additional recovery per game. Not fumble forced, but recovered. So they've been just hopping on the football at every opportunity, like every bounce the football takes, they're jumping on it. And that is one of those things where you look at that and you say, okay, what happens when against a good team, those bounces stop? What happens when instead of getting two fumble recoveries against a team that, that's even or better on your talent, what happens when that team has the same, you know, has the same turnover luck that you do and each of you say throw one interception or something like that. That's where that, that gets really interesting because I, I look at that and I say, yeah, you know, Wake, Wake's defense has been actually unusually lucky. And that's not a knock. That's just a fact. And that's also a factor of, again, they play really hard and they get a lot of guys around the football. But it is one of those things where, you know, maybe I'm spending a little extra time on ball security this week if I'm Mac Brown. Uh, I have, you know, one more period of, of ball security uh, in my offensive period to uh to to make sure that that you know the ball doesn't get put on the ground because if you don't put the ball on the ground this week you got a really good shot of beating this team and they've got one of the best kickers and they do not beat themselves overly which and we're talking about assignment football and all that stuff should make north carolina fans very nervous i'm taking the over i'm going like 65 to 55 final score but anyway craig jumping ahead of myself (laughs) Greg, what happens here? How, how does this game play out? How does Carolina take advantage of the things that you guys have pointed out that gives them an opportunity, that gives them, uh, that favors them in the eyes of those that do that kind of stuff? I mean, Wake Forest just looks like a team that they always give Carolina trouble. What happens Saturday? Yeah, we talked earlier about kind of the mindsets of these teams. Uh, Wake Forest is, is flying high. Uh, they're, they're top 10 first time in program history. They're veteran guys like we discussed. Uh, they feel like they should win. They're, you know, they, they hear some of these criticisms. Eh, the schedule they've played hasn't been that great. Uh, they're fa- they're you know, an underdog to North Carolina. They're an underdog probably against NC State at home. They're going to be an underdog at Clemson. Uh, they've heard it before, but they're veterans. Uh, they've had success. They know what works. They, they, there's buy-in. Uh, and so I think what's important for North Carolina is Carolina needs to have early success. Um, I really think if, if what played out last year plays out Saturday where Wake Forest is able to build a big lead, I'm not sure that North Carolina is going to be able to, to pull off the, the miracle comeback like they did last year. So I, I really believe that because of how things have played out for North Carolina, because they've struggled with adversity so much, I mean, yeah, they, they managed to hang on against Miami, right? How much of that was Miami making a bad play there at the end? You got to give Carolina credit for making the play. But they've just struggled to, to find ways to win. Wake Forest has found ways to win. So I think North Carolina really has to have success early. They have to be clean. Um, it, you hate to say it's going to be a situation where you know the, the, the team that uh, doesn't have the turnovers you know, is going to win because that, that's very simplistic, and we can say that about most games. But both of these teams are going to score a lot of touchdowns. And so it's really, can you force a turnover? Can you force a field goal? And if North Carolina can do that and they can get into halftime with the lead, then maybe that confidence is where they need it to be. Maybe they're feeling good about themselves and they can win the game. I, I, I don't doubt that they're more talented overall. They don't have the, the older guys uh, that Wake has leaned on this year. Uh, but I think because of that, Carolina has to be able to manage those emotions. And if they can do that, they can win this game. Jason, how's it play out? The Battle of the Sams. Uh, I think that we're liable to see maybe 800 yards passing. And, and Tommy, the, the over-under is 76. That seems incredibly low. 
<laughs> yeah, it really does. It would not surprise me, and of course, as hyperbole, it would not surprise me to see the winning score close to that. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get quite there because I think both teams run the ball too much for that. Yeah, but uh, but but then again, I mean, look at the Army score. <laughs> That's 70 to 56 where both that's teams a, are still running the football. So that's an army and, ball control offense. And Wade yeah. Forrest had the ball for 17 minutes in that game. It scored yeah. 70 points. I, I've never heard of that. Exhibit A and why time of possession is not a stat that actually matters, right? What matters is whether you score and not, you know, not how long you have it. But yeah, I'm I'm really of two minds in this game because you know, I look at this and for all the reasons that I've talked about, I think North Carolina should win this game. They really should. They should win this game. All things being equal, if North Carolina just doesn't turn the ball over a bunch in this game, if, if, if North Carolina is, you know, turnover margin of zero or, or, or no worse than, say, one more turnover than Wake Forest has, North Carolina should win this game. So. I find myself like, yeah, you know, that's what I expect. And then I look at last year and I go, okay, 59 to 53 last year. But Wake Forest basically returns their entire team minus Green, the receiver, who's really good. And then, of course, their other back. They're still really good at back. But they basically return that entire offense that scored 53 last year. And I, you know, North Carolina's defense, I think is slightly better right now than it was last year, even though, even if it doesn't feel that way, um, they're just a little better, maybe right around there. They're in the same tier, but you don't have Chaz Surratt. So, I mean, I think that's a factor that, that, you know, helps uh, last year's defense in that regard. So, you know, do you really expect Wake Forest to come in and, and have a, a whole lot more trouble defensively than what they did last year, especially the way that things have looked for Carolina defensively in recent weeks? And then you look at North Carolina and North Carolina scored 59 last year, but last year they had Deami Brown, they had Javante Williams, they had Michael Carter and they had, you know, I mean, I guess you can basically wa- uh, uh, wipe out the, you know, the loss at, at slot because Josh Downs is, is pretty good. So, you know, I look at that and I go, would I really expect Carolina to be able to score 59 kind of score at will like they did last year? when one of the main reasons or when three of the main reasons, four of the main reasons that they, that they scored all those points last year are now on NFL rosters. So on that side, you look at it and you're like, yeah, you kind of expect Wake Forest 53, North Carolina 31 or something like that. You know, just go ahead and name your, your offensive numbers to be pretty comparable for Wake. And then, you know, North Carolina, not quite as efficient, but I don't think it's quite that simple either because I mean, you do have, some play. I mean, North Carolina's had some success on offense, and I saw enough last week against a, a Notre Dame defense that's better than Wake Forest defense by a lot. And North Carolina put up enough yardage to, you know, and were efficient enough that they probably should have scored about 45 in that game against Notre Dame. They, they some game management issues and some other things stood in their way of that, but they were efficient enough that against Wake, yeah, you'd probably think maybe against that defense they score 50. So, I kind of wind up in the, I don't really know what to expect. And we've been saying this all year of like, I don't know. Like what, this is just not a team that, that you can really get your finger on their pulse, partly because at times they don't seem to have one. So what's going to happen. I think it's going to be a high scoring game that is going to involve a lot of passing yardage and is probably going to involve a decent amount of overall yardage as well. Um, I'm going to, are we at the point where we're going to try to give score projections or what are we doing here? Yeah, let's go ahead and do it. Let's do a couple over unders too, just for fun. (laughs) Over under 800 yards passing. Between the two? Yeah. Ooh. A lot of yardage. That's a lot of yardage. Um, We got it last year. Wasn't it like 900 last year? Yeah, so this year they are they're normally in the 200s to low 300s, but they did have 458 against Army and 411 against Duke. I'm going to go with under because I don't think North Carolina is going to throw for 500, and I don't think <laughs> I don't think uh, Wake Forest is going to go for more than say 330 or so. 
It was 979 last year. Over under 800, Greg. Wow. God. Uh, wow. This is whack football. All right, have, let me just throw this whack out. Whack in multiple. This, I like the double meaning there. This is fascinating to me. So on on in this game last year, on, on deep passing plays, so 20 plus yards, Sam Howell was four of six for 195 <laughs> yards and a touchdown. Sam Hartman was even better. He was seven of nine for two fifty six and a touchdown. Gosh. <laughs> I mean that's that's uh, Madden type stuff. <laughs> Look, if you put up those numbers on Madden, I'm saying you've got a cheat code going. You got it on easy mode or like something. Crazy. Oh my gosh! Um, so I'm gonna, I'll go over. Just uh, I'll say like I'm going under. I'll, I'll go over. All right. Um, over under a hundred points scored. Over. Under. Uh, let's see. Sam Hartman is five touchdowns short of Wake Forest career record. Riley Skinner with sixty. Hartman with fifty-five. Hartman set the record Saturday or not? Is, is this total touchdowns or passing touchdowns? Passing touchdowns. Oh, uh, no. No, I don't think he. I don't think he sets it. Um, let me find another one. Sam Howell over under five touchdowns total. Passing and rushing. Yep. You give me four and a half, I'll go over. I gave, I gave you five. I give you the no, opportunity for push. I, I mean, I'm, I think that's a push. I, I, I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if you had five total, like you know, three or four passing, and then one or two rushing. Carolina's right on the. That's right on the number I'd pick. I'd pick. Carolina's leading rusher. I think it's gonna be Chandler. I, mean, I think it's gonna be Chandler. <laughs> uh, Carolina's leading receiver, not named Josh Downs. Because if it's not Josh Downs as the total leader, then Carolina lost badly. <laughs> Antoine Green, I, I think he he looked really good last week, so I think something's clicking for him. All right, I'm gonna but, I, I'm I'm torn between Green and Chandler, but I'm gonna go with with Greg there. I'm gonna go with Green. I think it could be Chandler if they used him even more. Yeah, well, they, they I mean they very nearly hit him on a couple last week that just didn't 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 hit, and you know if those hit, then you know he's got a ton last week. Okay. Sam just missed him. I thought Longo's comment was interesting about Green this week, though. He, he said that lack of production early in the year was because of a lack of targets. Seems Which common been sense saying. wise, but right, right. <laughs> it just sounds like Longo. To hear Longo say that in a press conference, though. It was, it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Longo is the, the, Longo has been startlingly honest a few times this year and Recently, that's one of them for sure yeah yeah that's one of them you can tell he's gotten frustrated because there's been a little bit less you know coaches by and large you know they the, the goal of most coaches when they come into press conferences is to say as little as possible in terms of anything meaningful <laughs> because if you say anything negative about any of your players like that that there's just nothing positive that typically comes out of that but every so often you see coaches start to get frustrated about different things and they'll let something slip or let something fly like that, or they'll do it on purpose. And Longo's done that a couple of times this year. So last one, how many uh, pass attempts is how averaging on the season? Y'all got that handy per game? Uh, hang on. I can give it to you. Yeah, I'll get it in just a second. I'll find it. If I find it on my old, uh, Abacus so he, here there, there are other... 247 pass attempts in eight games, eight right? Eight games, right. So, so 240. That's 30. Yeah. So over under 35 pass attempts for Sam Howell. 34 mm -hmm. and a half, Greg. Over. I'll say over, yeah. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of possessions in this game. <laughs> I agree. And you know, last year I feel like his numbers were probably a little bit down just because he didn't have to throw the ball as much with what he had behind him. Let's get into the predictions. Uh, it's that portion of the show. Jason Staples, you're up first. You have done it again, my friend. You have sold the hope. And I said the last couple of weeks, it's not the despair that gets you. It's the hope. And I'm going to do it again. <laughs> 
I, I have to follow my head here instead of in, in, in the instead of the, uh, the the gut that's been punched a few too many times in, in terms of uh, of Carolina, you know, underperforming on some things. I just look at this and I go, I think Carolina should be able to run the football on these guys. And to me, that changes a lot of things for for Longo's offense when when they're able to be balanced like that. I think they're going to score a lot of points. And I think they'll be able, I mean, I think Wake's going to score a lot of points too, but I think ultimately uh, this is a game that in this context, I think Carolina should win the game because I don't think Carolina is going to turn it over like some of Wake's uh, comparable opponents have. So, you know, I think this is going to be pretty similar, say, to the, to the Syracuse game that, that Wake Forest was in. Uh, and that one was uh, what Wake won that. Um, Last 40. second field goal. Yeah, last second field goal, 40 to 37. I think it's going to be in the same score range, similar numbers, but I think a, a, a different result. I think Carolina is actually going to win this game. So I'm going to go with North Carolina, uh, 41, Wake Forest, 38. Speaking of running the ball against Wake Forest, Wake Forest, if I'm looking at it correctly, is 115th in the nation. 13th in the conference gives up 201.8 on the ground. And see, I think that's why, that's why I picked Ty Chandler. I think Chandler's going to have a day in this. Greg Barnes predictions. Yeah. I'm, I'm with Jason there and watching that the Notre Dame game, the, the fact that the offense really popped um, as we've discussed, I think Notre Dame's got good defense and that just, the way that the Sam Howell and, and Longo kind of worked together to, to scheme a little bit differently and for Sam to make better decisions and make sure he tried to spread the ball around. The offense looked just tremendously better. Um, defense is still a mess, got a long way to go, but I, I think Sam's good enough. I mean, this is his, this is most likely his final FBS game at home. And uh, that's, that's kind of a, a wild thing to, to talk about, but that's, that's kind of where we're at. Um, I do think these teams are very similar. Wake Forest is just taking advantage of, of the turnovers like we've talked about. And because of that, I think North Carolina is going to win this one. I think they'll find a way to get it done. Uh, I've got more points in this one, though, because I think there's going to be a lot of possessions. There's going to be a lot of touchdowns. So I've got yeah, North I'm Carolina. already rethinking that I went too low. <laughs> oh, my God, man. I'm you going, are like that guy. <laughs> I'm going 56-49. I'm feeling something like that. I, I'm yeah, feeling – uh. I'm feeling like 55, 51, something nuts, but I'll, I'll yeah. figure it out before the pre-inch. I'm going to revise mine to 52 to four, 52 to 48. Just because I, 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 you know, thinking about it, it just, look, I, I think, I think Carolina is going to score a lot of points and I think Wake Forest is going to score a lot of points, but I don't think Wake's, it's going to go over a hundred. Wake scored at least 35 in every game this year. Yeah. What, what's Max record in Nooners at Carolina, Greg? Uh, what'd you tell me? Eight and no? Eight and no. Yeah. Yeah, if they would play games, if they play games at one o'clock like they used to back in the day, we we'd right. be talking about this playoff team. Maybe it'll be a, I'm sure it'll be a fun game. You know, the way we've predicted them so far, it'd probably be seven to five, <laughs> and uh, with with fifteen turnovers total. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Seven to on five, Saturday. and NC State wins, right? We won't even get that right. Yeah. <laughs> well, look at Wake Forest game notes. I don't know if y'all are looking at them. I'm sitting there flipping them through them. This week's opponent, North Carolina Tar Heels, and they've got the Duke D as the logo right there. Oh, that's that's just that's just mean spirited. Nice. Is that a troll from Wake or not? But yeah, that, that's that's just mean spirited. That's that's <laughs> that's cold. I, I will give them the benefit of the doubt and say they just did not change the page from last week since they played Duke. But I just uh, say that's demonic. That that will be the uh, yeah that'll be the uh, game plan podcast for Inside Carolina. Um, look forward to the bowls lot, Greg. Uh, hope we see you out there, Jason. I guess we'll call you. Um, where, where Jason Staples will revise his score again. I'm quite sure on Saturday morning <laughs> as we are uh, as we're discussing this game. Johnny T-shirt, of course, is the sponsor of this podcast. Rate us, review us, subscribe, do all that stuff. YouTube. Uh, follow whatever the button is that you get it straight to your phone or your smart device boys it's been fun thanks tommy and it, why not revise i mean is anybody confident about anything with this team i think the the keyword no no 
<laughs> uh, yeah, the keywords in said in this podcast, you said them twice to to open it and to close it. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Guess we'll find out on Saturday. Later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.